Welcome to Catching Cowboys. Join Dr. Muji, a psychology professor at the University of Ohio, and her daughter, Iyabode, a research scientist in California, on a journey of how to make the most of what life throws your way. We hope to make today's podcast as informative and lighthearted as possible. So sit back and join us on this adventure. Before we get started, if you have your own comments or questions, remember to send them to catchingcurveballs at gmail.com or DM us at Catching Curveballs Podcast on Instagram. And if you like what you hear, remember to rate, review, and tell your friends, family, and coworkers to listen. All right, mom. I know today we're exploring one of your favorite topics. I believe it can even be classified as one of your subject matter expertise areas. But before we jump in, how about you start us off with updates on your end? How's life? How are you? I'm doing well, my daughter. Lots to do recently, but this is part of the fun of life. Today, what I want to share with you and our listeners is some of what I read in a finance-related article. The article was written by Linda Stern, a personal finance guru. The title of the piece is When Emptiness Fill Up. Emptiness is a phrase used to describe when children leave home to go to college, get married, and for households with more than one child will be when the very last one has left home and moved away from their parents. In psychology, we have the phenomenon termed emptiness syndrome, which is a non-clinical condition where some parents experience a feeling of grief and loneliness because their children have left home. Anyway, according to Ms. Stern, in the U.S., over 50% of young adults were back home living with at least one of their parents in 2020, a statistic not seen since the Great Depression. We must recognize that there can be benefits for families living together but it is not always rosy-rosy. Ms. Stern offers some recommendations for those living in multi-generational homes or for those who may be doing so soon. One, be specific. The empty nester must get answers to such questions as how long will you be staying? Who pays for what? Have exit plans. The more one decides early on, the easier for all those involved. Have a document in writing. Two, don't go overboard. Just because young adults are returning home does not mean that empty nesters ought to be responsible for every bill. Three, protect your assets. Living together does not mean that empty nesters have to do the financial deals suggested by their children. Four, go with the flow. Empty nesters should do their part. For example, babysitting grandchildren and let adult children do their part. For example, pay for groceries. Ms. Stern concludes that an informal setup like this will work well if everyone commits to making it work and if it is a short-term situation with an end date. Adding this one to the list of future topics, empty nest syndrome. You know, mom, I have to admit that if you lived in California or even on the West Coast where your time zone matched up to my work time zone and schedule, you'd likely have had an empty nest crasher. 
that empty nest crasher being me. There really was a point about a few months into the pandemic where it started to become crystal clear that life wouldn't be returning to normal or even close anytime soon. And at that time, I really had to think through where made the most sense to ride out the rest of the year. Of course, mom, your place was the top contender, but at no point did I think of having some sort of contract or expectation set if I were to temporarily move back in. So this is fascinating to hear that being specific, not going overboard, protecting your assets, and going with the flow can make it a more seamless experience. I figured the solution would simply be to set up some sort of tent, RV, camper, shed even in the backyard and have your children stay outside. But I suppose the approach recommended by Ms. Stern is far more reasonable. I expect this return of over half of all young adults to their parents' home would or should have slightly different expectations than a standard return back home. Before the pandemic, sure. I can see how not going overboard or taking on the financial burden of a returning to home child wouldn't be best practice. But at this time, when so many of those same children have likely had significant changes to their work situation, if not a complete loss of employment, or now have their own children with virtual classes or requiring someone in the household to look after them all day versus daycare or school, those expectations likely appear different. I suppose this is where it helps to have as many questions addressed and expectations ironed out at the very beginning, though. Okay, appetizer over, mom. The listeners and I are ready for the main course. Let's start our discussion on SpaceX and the Crew Dragon resilience. Did anyone else watch the resilience launch last year or hear any of the resilience crew interviews? This pun might be my worst yet. If not, it's pretty close. I don't know why I do this. Listeners, not to worry, today won't be a review of any space missions. It's instead focused on exploring an incredibly valuable skill. It's a learned ability that I'm shocked has taken us this many episodes to get to, since I think from the first day we started this podcast, it's been one my mom and I have been way too excited to get to. Doesn't matter how long it took us because we're here now. Mom, from a psychological perspective, what exactly is resilience? Resilience is the ability of a person or other entities like a community to bounce back from a challenging event or overcome a series of obstacles that have gotten in the way of the individual or community from achieving their goals. Resilience is the process of adapting well in the face of adversity, trauma, tragedy, threats, or significant sources of stress such as family and relationship problems, serious health problems, or workplace and financial stressors. Resilience means, quote-unquote, bouncing back from difficult experiences. Resilience is a balance of several factors, including stress and coping, goals, optimism, finding meaning, connection, and a sense of belonging. According to some researchers who in 2016 studied resilience at the end of life as a predictor for post-loss growth in bereaved caregivers of cancer patients, resilience implies a set of characteristics. Self-efficacy or faith in oneself, adaptability to change, optimism, 
ability to withstand or recover from traumatic stress make up that set of characteristics. Other researchers suggest that resilience is very similar to post-traumatic growth, PTG, which is the positive psychological change that some individuals experience after a life crisis or traumatic event. For our new listeners, episode three of our podcast was on PTG. The concept of resilience differs between cultures and identifying the components of resilience is essential for decision-making and interventions in disasters such as risk management. The goal of a 2019 study was to identify the components of children's resilience in disasters in Iran. Two categories of resilience were shown in this study, internal and external resilience. The study also showed that the nature of resilience is both intrinsic or inherent and extrinsic or external. I'd like to add that the definition of catching curveballs is resilience. This entire podcast is based on this concept, and I'd argue that resilience is one of the best muscles we can build and continue finding ways to strengthen for life. I know you feel the exact same way, mom, and in the definitions you provided, it's easy to see why this skill is so important. Difficult experiences are an inevitable part of life, and so our ability to bounce back can guide the trajectory of our lives after such experiences. Mom, I think you were the first person I heard use resilience muscle, and ever since I heard you do so, I've just run with it. Get it? Run with it? No? Muscle? Running? No? Okay. If we're sticking to the theme, what factors influence this particular muscle group? Why do some people seem to easily flex this muscle while others might need a bit more training? Several factors determine resilience. These include our genes and the influence our genes have on a variety of our characteristics, both physical and psychological. Our early lived experiences contribute to our resilience as well as good fortune. We need to be conscious of the large differences in the degrees to which adversities can affect individuals. This variability can lead to growth manifesting at different times across persons and resulting in different outcomes. That is, Variability in bouncing back affects when we observe growth in different people and what growth is for different people. Resilience correlates positively with other factors such as self-esteem and negatively with factors like depression. In other words, people with high self-esteem are more resilient and vice versa. Resilience also correlates with personality traits. For instance, resilience has been shown to positively relate to extroversion, openness to experience, agreeableness, and conscientiousness, and negatively relates to neuroticism in adults. This means that people high in extroversion, openness to experience, agreeableness, and conscientiousness are more resilient while emotionally unstable people are less resilient. Interestingly, research has also shown variability in resilience with respect to gender. 
In a 2018 study that examined gender differences in relation to resilience and the big five personality traits in Japanese adolescents, the investigators found that neuroticism was the most influential predictor of resilience in females, whereas extroversion was the most important predictor in males. The effect of neuroticism on resilience was greater for females than for males. I'm always amazed by the manner psychology researchers frame their studies. The other factors associated with resilience are pretty straightforward, but not so much with the 2018 study. In this batch of study participants, the researchers found that for girls, the most important predictor of resilience, the personality trait that had the greatest connection to likelihood to display resilience, was neuroticism. To which I say, how? I'm truly stumped. Out of all personality traits that I'd expect, it absolutely wouldn't be neuroticism. With the boys in that study, extroversion was the most important predictor, which aligns to what you've explained in terms of the personality traits in adults that are associated with that ability to bounce back after difficult experiences. I realize this study was limited to Japanese adolescents, but I'm still shocked by the results in girls. Earlier on, while you were defining resilience for us, one of your definitions alluded to resilience at the individual or community level. Can you expand upon the community aspect? Maybe talk us through resilience at other levels in general. Yes, that is true. Resilience is a concept that is applicable at both the macro and micro levels. Psychologists have studied resilience in organizations and communities, thus distinguishing between psychological or individual and collective or organizational resilience. In that context, resilience is defined as the ability of an organization to engage in a renewal discourse of hope and optimism. It is also an organization's ability to have long-standing partnerships and networks. Resilience from a social and cultural perspective also accounts for contextual factors, such as one's environment in the development of resilience. This view of resilience suggests that individuals have the capacity to draw upon their environment for resources, allowing them to adapt to difficult situations. Others have conceptualized resilience as the outcome from negotiations between individuals and their environment for the resources to define themselves as healthy amidst conditions collectively viewed as adverse. In a 2018 study, the investigator examined the role of agency and community at a children's emergency shelter to collectively cultivate resilience. The study analyzed how staff and volunteers collectively fostered resilience in children who had experienced trauma. The findings indicated that the shelter emphasizes individual agency and quote-unquote good community membership as tools by which residents can become more resilient. 
As with most things, environment matters. In this case, the resources, more specifically, the appropriate individuals available around us after a traumatic experience can provide us with the proper tools and support to recover and become more resilient. This is true, my daughter. It also applies to organizational resilience. This type of resilience refers to an organization's ability to absorb strain and preserve or improve functioning despite the presence of adversity. In a 2016 study, a pair of researchers sought to identify organizational characteristics that point to the resilience of nonprofit behavioral healthcare organizations as they successfully adapt to funding changes. Using the framework of resilience, they found six themes that equipped these organizations for successfully adapting to funding changes. These include commitment to the mission, improvisation, community reciprocity, servant and transformational leadership, hope and optimism, and fiscal transparency. So they found that six themes can successfully help organizations as they work through what can definitely be the challenging landscape called funding. In this case, more than likely the very stressful experience of funding cuts or other not-so-great fiscal events. Those six themes being commitment to the mission, the ability to improvise, a pay-it-forward community structure, supportive leadership, hope and optimism, and financial transparency. I suppose some of these might be relevant for all of us, but if we shift our focus back to individual resilience, how can we learn to be resilient? Let's say you and I, mom, are the trainers of this gym class. How would you start the resilience training session? Well, before we begin the training session, my daughter, it is important to highlight that resilience is not a trait that people either have or do not have. Rather, it involves behaviors, thoughts, and actions that people can learn and develop. We can learn particular skills or abilities that will assist us in bouncing back and catching curveballs. For instance, we can learn how to disrupt negative thought sequences. We can fight or attend to distortions in our thinking that force us to come up with worst-case scenarios for no reason. We can also learn to look at situations as glass half full instead of glass half empty when we face challenges or tough times. Getting through pain and disappointment without letting them become overwhelming is not necessarily easy for anyone. Researchers, however, have begun to uncover what people who are more resilient do in order to emotionally and mentally carry on say, after the death of a loved one, a job loss, chronic or acute illness, or any other setback. What researchers have learned may help us all become more resilient. For instance, each of us must ask ourselves, do I attribute personal and professional setbacks solely to my own inadequacy? Or am I able to identify contributing factors that are specific and temporary? Do I strive for perfection? Or am I able to accept that life is a mixture of losses and gains? 
In each case, greater levels of resilience have been associated with being able to identify contributing factors that are specific and temporary and being able to accept that life is a mixture of losses and gains. First, maintaining healthy habits will enhance resilience. For example, make sure you get enough sleep, you watch what you eat, and you engage in physical and mental exercise. Such habits will help you to reduce stress, and stress reduction can enhance resilience. Cultivating close relationships will help you obtain the necessary support as you face challenges. Remember to focus on things that you can control rather than those you cannot control. In addition, a few tips shared by motivational speaker Lisa Nichols can be helpful. In her book titled No Matter What, she outlines how one can build what she calls your bounce back muscles following nine steps. Step one. Develop your understanding muscle by knowing that some gifts will come not in ways that you wish or expect. Step two, develop your faith in myself muscle by stopping your mind's negative chatter. Step three, develop your take action muscle by making necessary moves. Step four, Develop your I know like I know muscle by recognizing that God or the universe is good. Step five, develop your honesty muscle by keeping things real. Step six, develop your say yes muscle by being willing to go all out for whatever will benefit you. Step seven, develop your determination muscle by doing what it takes to accomplish your goals. Step eight, develop your forgiveness muscle by finding your way back to love. Step nine, develop your highest choice muscle by meeting your needs from the inside and not limiting yourself. Mom, you're not going to share that we both have matching Lisa Nichols autographed no matter what books. I see how it is. You know, when we decided to cover resilience for today's episode, part of what made me so excited is that it presented me with a great chance to rewatch and flip through so many of my favorite inspirational videos and books. Hopefully many, if not most of our listeners can relate, but there's content you've run into that's so powerful and riveting, but it would be boring if you just kept going back to only view that material rather than the plethora of other material that exists out there. You might love Tim Horton's glazed donuts and find them life-changing, but it's not that enjoyable to eat them every single day or every single time you eat donuts. You might want Timbits from time to time or chocolate-dipped donuts. You get the gist. Some of the content I'm getting ready to share are my versions of the beloved glazed donuts. I don't consume them all the time, but when I do, it's truly something special. First are three strategies Dr. Lucy Hone, a resilience expert, shared during a 2019 TED Talk. During this talk, she opens up about the sudden loss of her 12-year-old daughter and three go-to strategies that quote-unquote saved her in her darkest days. This is framed as the three strategies resilient people use to navigate tough times. 
Each and every single one is a remarkable approach or mindset shift that we can all embrace on a day-to-day basis. By doing so, we're developing those resilience muscles that will want to be in as best shape as possible when the unfortunate is thrown our way. First, resilient people understand that stuff happens. Stuff is my word. That's my terminology. But resilient people know that suffering is part of life. They don't welcome it in, but they know it's part of every human existence. Knowing this can spare you of the overwhelming why-me feelings that we tend to feel after negative experiences. Next, resilient people are good at choosing where they focus their attention. They have a habit of appraising situations and focusing on those aspects they can change while reducing the attention they give to those they can't change. I'm going to take a moment to champion this strategy. Although all three are helpful, I'd argue that this approach is life-changing in many ways. Don't get me wrong here, this isn't an ignorance-is-bliss mindset. It's a question of what aspects of your life or in your day will you opt to fixate on. Will you work to embrace those within your control, or will you ruminate about those you have absolutely no control or influence over? Pay attention to how you answer this question, not only now, but as you go about the rest of your day, your tomorrow, and beyond. Third, resilient people ask themselves, is what I'm doing helping or harming me? This was Dr. Hone's go-to question. There are a few other TED Talks that make my top 5 to 10 in terms of resilience. I'll recommend a few, but if any of you listeners are interested in more recommendations, just send an email or DM the podcast. Another is a bit older, but still so relevant and poignant. It's by Charles Hunt, the founder of The Audacity Firm. In his case, he shares his experiences with continued trauma. That's not how he phrased it, but it's truly the best way I can summarize the many traumatic experiences he endured through his childhood. From tragedy to triumph is how he puts it, and he credits this triumph to his resilience. Okay, let me move on from TED Talks to another delicious donut that I love going back to. This is coming from UCTV. For those not familiar with it, UCTV stands for University of California Television, and they provide lectures and educational material for free to the public. The topics range from health and medicine to technology to arts and music. On UCTV, you can find a presentation by Dr. Darlene Menini titled The Science of Resilience, How to Thrive in Life. In it, there are five key points that we can all learn from and apply as we strengthen our resilience muscle. I'm going to run quickly through them since we're getting ready to wrap up this episode and I've been talking for far longer than I expected. These five strategies are to cultivate optimism, shift your focus, process difficult feelings, connect with others, and be present in the moment. All themes we've either explored or will explore on this podcast. In other words, you're in good hands here, so even if this training session hasn't covered all possible workouts, we've done so in earlier training sessions and will definitely continue doing so in future training sessions. All right, mom. I think we're ready for your quote for today. My quote is by Yasmin Mugahid. Resilience is very different than being numb. Resilience means you experience, you feel, you fail, you hurt, you fall, but you keep going. End of quote. Well, that's all for now. 
Thank you for spending time with us. Yes, we want to hear from you. Give us feedback on what you heard today and suggestions for topics you would like us to discuss in future episodes. You can email us at catchingcurveballs at gmail.com. That's catchingcurveballs, all one word, at gmail.com. Also, remember to follow us on Instagram for much more content at Catching Curveballs Podcast. That's Catching Curveballs Podcast. And as always, remember to rate, review, and tell everyone you know about the podcast. We cannot wait to connect with you soon.